Well, Happy New Year. All right. Um, I trust we all did well and uh, I've got a lot of goals and aspirations for 2019 um, that we're serious about. <laughs> um, as we think about uh, 2019 for our church, um, I've been thinking about kind of the, the past a little bit uh, during this past week in, in preparation for this and wanting to kind of set the tone for 2019. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, was great about being a church plant, so we're, we're over at Mary Bryant, and I know a number of you were with us. Uh, you know, we got about 200 chairs up, blue, blue plastic chairs, very comfortable, right? Remember those? Yeah, not really. Um, but we were, uh, we were a smaller group that was uh, very aware of the mission that God has given us. And so anybody new, anybody that, um, you know, somebody invited, it would quickly spread throughout our group. Hey, this is a new person. Why don't you say hello to that person? Um, they're from this family or this family invited them. This is their connection to our church. And it was like, man, we were, um, we just had this edge to us that was hot and was quick. And then we, uh, God was gracious to us and we, we actually had to move because the cafetorium in Farnell was a necessary, you know, cafetorium being a very powerful word over there at Farnell. Um, and, and, and then we set up a few more chairs at Farnell and it was the same kind of feel. And then we, you know, we got this property and everybody was excited, but everybody was on point. And here's the thing about being uh, a part of a church plant. If you were to be a new couple or a new person that would come to our church uh, service over at Farnell or over at Mary Bryant, it was obvious the need. You're like, they need help here, all right? Or they, need, they sure as heck need help over here in, in this area. So you knew what the need was. And then when you decided to help us, you felt ownership. And you felt like, hey, I'm part of the mission. And the next thing you know, we're in the middle of a recession. 64 families, unbelievably, in the middle of a recession, we raise a million dollars. I said that before, but I, I count that as just a work of the Lord. And we were able to you know, buy this 32 acres um, that started out at $2.1 million for $600,000, which was a miracle. And then we get over here, and we've been over here for now for about five years. And what I realize is when people walk in the door now, um, I mean, granted, sometimes I look at our building and I think, you know, we look like a super-sized CVS. <laughs> you ever thought about that? You look on the outside, like like a super CVS, right? It's supposed to be funny, but that's what I kind of think sometimes. Um, maybe change the you know yellow cover color to like maybe a khaki or something, and be more about whatever. Um, but anybody knew, anybody who was invited, we were all over it. And then we get here, and I'm wondering if our people, myself included, we think, okay, here we are. We have a building now. Um, we don't need to do as much. Because, hey, you know, we kind of arrived. And granted, you have to kind of come back, and that bridge cost way too much over that little creek there. That was, you know, frustrating. 
But as long as you don't think we're a cult, which I was nervous about, you know, because we're kind of off the, off the road. As long as you don't think we're a cult, right, and we're serving Kool-Aid around here, yeah, man, we've arrived, right? We're okay. But here's the problem with that, is that we get um, lazy. I get lazy. I think, do I worry about joining softball teams anymore? Do I worry about um, thinking, okay, what if I coach a team at Edoratus? I wonder the players that I get to coach, if maybe God would bring them and to, to know himself, uh, to, know, to know God through a baseball team or through a cheerleading squad or whatever it may be. And I think what happens is once we build something and we've got an awesome youth room and, hey, maybe your kids come on Friday night, we think, okay, God's doing his thing, and we lose our edge. This is the first Sunday of 2019. And um, if you came for the first time, within a month or two, would you feel ownership of this church? Because if you did, when you came back in 2008 or 2009, when we were at Mary Bryan or Farnell, I tell you what, you saw the need, and then within a couple of months, you were handing out bulletins, you were shaking people's hands, and you felt ownership. And I think what happens is... um, it's, it's hard to see our need. It's hard to see our mission. And so this Sunday, I want to hopefully allow the scriptures to uh, reframe for you and for me uh, what the mission is, man. Well, I mean, is your heartbeat to see people um, know the Lord? Because we have a world out there that needs truth and it, it needs love. Amen? They need it. I need it, and they need it, and I need to be reminded of this. So I'm, you know, over this past week, I'm flipping through the stations, and I remember my aunt, who is, has, I don't know if you have an aunt that's very, very expressive, and she's got these massive eyeballs, right? And she, whenever she tells a story, it's like, I mean, I just could not not look at her. And she would go into this person, like this, this character, and she's like, my name is Rosanna, Rosanna, Donna. Now, if you know what that's from, if you saw the, you know, the, spe- the two-hour special, it's been all over the television news, about Gilda Radner. And Gilda Radner was the f- one of the first female um, comedians on Saturday Night Live. And she was hilarious. And she had this character, Rosanna, Rosanna, Donna. And she was from New, you know, New York, and she, she learned how to talk like that from living in New York, and it was hysterical, and I've watched it on YouTube. And uh, she has this massive face, and it's expressive. And Lorne Michaels, who is, the, I guess, the head honcho of Saturday Night Live, during the first couple years, when they didn't have enough skits, they would just have Gilda Radner read like what she ate that week because she was so like funny and fun and engaging. And it, and it would um, captivate people. And so I was watching this, you know, th- uh, this biography, basically, of her. And it talked about how one of her first boyfriends was Martin Short, who's hysterical. But then they broke up, and next thing you know, she's dating Bill Murray, right? Hilarious. And they began to talk about how she kind of, like, uh, dated Dan Aykroyd. And, and they showed clips of her um, 
being, you know, doing comedy sketches, and it was hysterical. And they said, once Saturday Night Live hit in 1975, she would get just like thousands and thousands of fan mail. Like, we love you, Gilda. Like, you are it. You know, you are awesome. You are a woman who just, you know, we, we can't get enough of you. And they kind of go on. And the next thing you know, you see a picture of Gilda Radner. And she's looking a little different. And you hear some of her friends, you know, kind of mic'd in. Gilda needed. She needed a lot. Right? And then you see this picture of Gilda Radner. I don't know how tall she was. I don't think she was very tall. I put her maybe about like 5'3". And she looked like she weighed about 75 pounds. And it was blatantly obvious she had an eating disorder. And she was just, I mean, a toothpick. And you think, oh my heavens. Wait, wait. Millions of people are watching her. You just saw clips of her uh, being interviewed by Barbara Walters and NBC and every, and she is, she is the thing. And she doesn't weigh anything. And they just, there wasn't, there was something not right about her. She wanted something more. And, you know, as I watched that biography, it reminded me this. Our world um, needs the Lord. It doesn't matter how much you made, uh, you know, what you're going to put down on your taxes this year. It doesn't matter how great your family is. You were made for something more than that. It doesn't matter how much God has blessed you because you watch any sports figure. You look at any comedian. I mean, you turn on uh, the, the entertainment news and you see these perfect people. These, the most beautiful people getting married and having kids. And the next thing you know, within three to five to seven years, they're divorced. And you think, well, that's the point, man. I thought, I thought if you had all of that, millions of dollars and beauty, you would be satisfied. And here's what the world um, communicates to us is it's never enough. And if it's never enough, you know what Westtown has? We have a message to give to Tampa, Florida. But if we don't care about this message, we cease to function as a church anymore. As, as we're thinking about West Town, what got us here? Keeping our head down, opening up the Bible and saying, Jesus is the point. There's a ton of people here who are so highly educated. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, excels at some, you know, you're either gorgeous or you make a ton of money or you have this unbelievable skill. I mean, that's the thing about living in this area. It's a, it's a bunch of amazing people. However, those things never last. They never, ever last. And I get a call three years, five years, seven years later. So, well, yeah, they broke up. Yeah, that guy, yeah, it just didn't work out. He's not happy anymore. And it always brings us back. 64 families raised a million dollars in the middle of a recession. Why? Because we have a message, the scriptures say, that is timeless. That Tampa, Florida 33626 needs. We are the only church building in 33626. 74% of 33626 does not go to any faith building or attend anything that has to do with faith. So we have a huge mission field. If that doesn't do something to you, we become a social club. 
In other words, you come here and it's a social thing to do. It doesn't really affect you. It's a social thing. So it's a business meeting. It's a, it's a networking opportunity. That's what West Town becomes. And it's easy in, you know, suburban, um, upper middle class Tampa, Florida for that to happen. Because you guys have a ton of, of resources. Why would you come to church on a Sunday morning? You could be out at the beach. You could be over at Disney right now, right? You could fly out, have a little fun in Vegas, right? You could go to New Orleans, wherever. I mean, why, why would you come to a, a church? I mean, what, what is it that we are really offering you? I mean, this is maybe a waste of some of your time. And that's where I want to set the table for 2019. So the first two years I had a coach. And I feel like maybe some of the edge of West Town is missing. So I've got a coach now. For the first time in 12 years, I've got a coach. And basically it's, a, it's, it's this guy, John Bennett, who was a pastor for 20 years. And now he is a, a consultant, uh, a coach to pastors saying, hey, let me be a set of eyes. Let me see if maybe you have gotten fat and happy, Frank. I mean, I know I've gotten fat, you know. No, but like, so if he were to walk in here, no one, you don't know who he is. You don't know what he looks like. What would he experience if he walked into West Town? Because I tell you what, when we were at West, when we were at Mary Bryant, when we were at Farnell, we knew if you were new. And let me tell you what, we made sure as best we could, we weren't perfect, but we made sure, hey, make sure someone's talking to them. Make sure they're getting a phone call. And I think we've lost, I have lost some of that urgency. And so we've got to come back to the scriptures and we've got to have scriptures reset us because the number one value of our church is what? Does West Town love the story of scripture? If we don't love it, I tell you what, we will become a Kiwanis club. Nothing wrong with a Kiwanis club. We will become a missionless organization. So Paul wrote this to a church. And he wanted to make sure they understood how big God was. In Galatians chapter 4, he says this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And the only thing I want to pull out from this, this is a very, very deep and rich passage, is the first part. When the fullness of time came, and all I want to say here is, Remember this, God is in charge of time, right? I mean, I know that sounds basic, but he's in charge of time. He's in charge of everything that happens. He governs all things. Um, And so when you think about the power of God, the authority of God, the governance of God, I want us to look at Isaiah 43. Because here's what God says about Israel and in turn about West Ham. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You, West Town, are my witnesses. If you were called in a court of law, you would be the witness. And you would have to what? Testify what? That I am God. That's what I want your church, Frank. You're not a church if you don't have witnesses that would actually oath or swear that Jehovah Jireh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God. And so here's a picture of the biblical world. All right? I love maps. We're going to see a lot of maps today, okay? 
Get ready. Map time. Fun, fun. This is going to be great, guys. Israel, right? And one of the awesome things, I know many of you know this, but I got to go to Israel, and I'm going to say I got to go to Israel probably four or five more times. I was there. And Israel was, you know, right there in the middle, and you got Egypt, you got Babylonia, you got Greece, and you got, you know, Assyria. You got all these different worlds. And, and, and that's kind of, kind of the, you know, bigger picture. But when it came to actually the beginning of the Bible, look at this. Here's what God said to Abraham. I want you to take Canaan, and I want that to be the promised land. That's the land of milk and honey. Now I want you to look at up at Mesopotamia and Egypt. Why are those two things very powerful? Because of the rivers. Look at the, the, those lines there. The Tigris and the Euphrates River. What did that mean? That meant it was an agrarian society. In other words, you had to grow your crops. What was the most important thing? Water. Well, if you had two awesome rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, you know what? You were pretty assured, my crops are going to grow. And if you're Egypt, you had the Nile, right? The power of the Nile River. And so as long as the Nile River was flowing, and as long as in the Tigris and the Euphrates were, were flowing, Mesopotamia and Egypt had food. If you had food, you had money. If you had money, you had power. Canaan didn't have those things. And so at the very onset, they were dependent upon God. God, you hear this term, we are going to pray for rain. Pray for rain. God, you're in charge of the rain. The prevailing winds that come from uh, west to east, right? The, the storms that come. Send a storm to Canaan because we need it to rain, because we need crops to grow, because we want to actually have something to eat. And they were, in their ver- at their very onset, fully dependent upon um, God for their very survival. Unlike Mesopotamia and unlike Egypt. And so when you think about um, Canaan, when you think about Israel, and just think you could, you could you know, replace Israel for Canaan, it's the same thing. I want you to hear this, this from King Solomon. In the, at the heartbeat of Canaan was Jerusalem. The heartbeat of Jerusalem was the temple. The heartbeat of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant, or the presence of God. Here's what King Solomon, in his prayer, dedicating the temple that he built in 1 Kings 8, says this, And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord, our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time, Westtown. What's the point? All people of the earth may know the Lord, may know that the Lord is God. What does that tell you? What does that tell me? So when I would join these softball teams, when I was just beginning to kind of move here and get into this um, area, um, I just wanted to not get in the way of the Lord. And every person was an opportunity for me. And my mindset was, um, okay, this guy is what? Created by God. The point 
Solomon says is that the all the earth may know that the Lord is God. And so here's the point when, when you, you kind of extract that for your life. You know, it's January the 6th. You started, you know, 2019 is that all people matter to God. Who is the person in your neighborhood, in your family, at your work that you don't like at all? You know what? The truth is they matter to God. Right? If you had to move to another city without, you know, baggage with anybody, anybody that you came into contact with, everybody matters to God. That's the mindset I feel like, not perfectly, but legitimately, we had when we started this church. Everybody that anybody in our core group comes into, everybody matters to God. And so what do we do? We care for them as best we can, right? Everybody matters to God. The person that gets on your nerve the most, God's heart breaks for that person. What does that do to you? When you realize the whole point of the world is that all people would know the glory of God. All people. I mean, we had this party last night that went on really late. I could just hear the mood. I mean, the, the, the place was just thumping, right? And just like pounding like till midnight. And you know, it was a little loud. You could, every person at that party last night in our neighborhood, every person matters to God. Every single heartbeat. Who do I think I am? Thinking I'm better than them. Thinking, well, I'm coming to church and we're going to open the Bible here. People here are better than those people. No. Everybody matters to God because the point of the world is what? That the earth, everybody may know that the Lord is God. Is that your purpose? Play out money, right? Play out your kids. Play out whatever it is less than that. And you know what? You will come up empty. We are in an age or in a time, a season right now where sports is everything. Not just, I mean, you watch it. You cannot get enough. I mean, you cannot win enough Super Bowls. I mean, I've said this before, but listen to Tom Brady when he says, you know, after five Super Bowls, he says there's still something missing. You can't, um, you can't be perfect enough. You will always end up wanting something more. And, and that's what the scriptures teach us. And I'm wondering if Westtown believes that or if we believe we've arrived now and now we're a happy little, you know, upper middle class suburban church that's sold out and we don't have an edge anymore because I tell you what at Mary Bryant when we didn't know if we were going to be able to pay the bills or ever get a building I mean the thought of a building was ridiculous it didn't matter it what mattered was you know telling each other hey I met this person and they were searching you know it, it mattered that when I was on the golf course at West Chase and I had been praying for this person for two years. And finally that person says, you know what? Here's what I care about. I just want to be rich. And that is why I won't become a Christian or a member at Westtown. And he told me that to my face. And I almost wanted to weep because he felt safe enough to say that. And within six months, this guy came to know the Lord. He realized the money and his unbelievable resume would never give him peace. Do we have that edge? Does 2019, would you leave this service, 75 minutes, right? It's communion Sunday, so it's going to be a little bit longer. And walk out of here um, because you don't want to talk to anybody. 
not realizing that there's people here in this room that are maybe here for the first, second, or third time. They don't know a soul in this town. And if you would just go and start a conversation with them, that would change their life. Because literally, that's what we found. When our edge was sharp and hot, and we were putting on the glasses. But you know what? Once you get a building and you have a really great youth room, why do we need to do this anymore, right? We look good. We kind of have a name around, around town a little bit. And that's why I felt like, man, I need a coach because I'm thinking these thoughts. I'm not looking around like I used to. Why? Because we meet budget now? Because I, my salary is going to be paid for? Because we can hire staff more? I mean, what does that say about my heart? That says about my heart, I just care that the bills are paid. And I know that I can pay the mortgage, right? And that I know that maybe I can go on a, you know, decent little vacation. As long as I got my little comfort zone here in West Chase, Florida, I'm good. And I think the Lord says, that smells like vomit, you know? That smells like a church in the book of Revelation called Laodicea, where it says, you know what? You're neither hot nor cold, West Town. You are lukewarm. And you know what God says when he smells lukewarm, not hot or even cold, it makes him want to throw up. And I, praying about this and wondering where our church is, I get nervous. I'm like, God, help us. Do we have that urgency? Because it's one thing, right, to be urgent because you want the bills to be paid, because you want to make it as a church. It's another thing. For no, You just want to see people's lives change. And do you realize that it could be just a conversation that you have, a text that you make, you know, you hanging out here a little bit longer today, reaching out to somebody that changes their life, that God will use that. And that's what he begins to speak to us and I, I want us to look at. I want you to look at this. This, is, this was written in 740 B.C., okay? 740 years before Christ came. This is what Isaiah said. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Right, 740 BC, the prophet Isaiah. What do we, what, what can we just basically extract from that? Is this, everyone, including Abraham, without the work of God, everybody is what? Is spiritually blind. All people are born into spiritual darkness. They need light. You were born spiritually blind. You cannot see God. That's what, that's what this says, right? That's the way in which the world, um, because of the fall of man, People are spiritually blind. Now I want to show you a map here. Another map, guys. Get excited. Right up there, that little blue part, that's the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, Sea of Canareth is sometimes called, but it's the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you look at that yellow spot, we know this. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Israel means wrestle with God. Israel had 12 tribes, right? 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. When Moses led the people into the Canaan, into the promised land, 
They took the 12 tribes and they split up the land according to the 12 tribes. Well, you see Zebulon right there. That's one of the 12 tribes. And up at the top there, you see Naphtali. The only reason I tell you that is that's the northernmost part of Israel, right? Think of it. Northernmost part. What does that mean? It means if an enemy is going to come and attack you, um, they're going to start at Naphtali and come down through Zebulon. And here's what Isaiah says. Um, that in the past, um, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali were humbled. But in the future, Naphtali and Zebulon, they are going to actually play a big part in bringing light to darkness. So, Pastor Morgan left us with the calling of the 12 disciples, beginning of God calling the 12 disciples. Because Jesus was just starting his ministry. And I want to start at Matthew 4. Now, remember this. We just celebrated Christmas. From Christmas to when he was 30, Jesus did not do any ministry. It's pretty inefficient, if you ask me. From 0 to 30, Jesus did not teach, preach, or heal. And so, here we are at the beginning of his ministry. And here's what it says. Now, when Jesus heard that John, and that's John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, they were flipping out because John the Baptist was giving this gospel about this guy coming. They're like, we got to take care of John the Baptist. Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Now, let me just say, before this, right before this, if you were to read the couple of little sections before it, Jesus is about ready to start his ministry. So what does he do? He goes to John the Baptist and says, John, I want you to baptize me. He has not done any miracles yet. He's not taught. He has not, you know, preached. And so John the Baptist takes Jesus and he baptizes him. And right when he's baptizing, what happens? The heavens open up and this voice comes down. And what it's, it's the voice of the Father. Imagine if you're a son and you hear the voice of your father that says to you as a son, you are my son and I'm so pleased with you. Now go. Go do ministry. That's what Jesus needed to hear, the voice of his father before he started. And as a, right when he's about to start the ministry, you know what happens? Satan comes to him. And Satan says, now you're going to be with me, Jesus, and you're going to come out into the desert, and I'm going to tempt you. And that's exactly what happens for 40 days. Jesus is tempted out into the desert. And it says Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, but he never sinned. It's not a sin for you to be tempted, but Jesus never literally committed a sin. And this is where verse 12 picks up. Now, Jesus had heard that John had been taken into custody, and so he's going to start his ministry. So where does he go? He goes to Galilee? What? This doesn't make any sense. Now here, look where Judea is. Now you can see Jerusalem. That is the heartbeat of Israel. What's in Jerusalem? The Ark of the Covenant. We're, you know, Harrison Ford and Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? I mean, that's the presence of God. That's the whole point, the presence of God. And so you, you realize that Jerusalem is in Judea. And then if you go a little bit north, it's Samaria. But then if you go really north, it's where? It's in Galilee. It's the farthest place you can go for a Jew away from what? Zion and be in Israel. Well. If God is in control of time, if God is in control of people, do you think God can be in control and try to teach us a lesson through location? That's what I want to tell us. That's what I think God is trying 
to tell us. Let's go to the next verse. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum. Okay, Jesus is about ready to start. So Jesus is up here. He, he was raised in Nazareth. All of a sudden, Jesus, literally, people of Nazareth kind of like don't want him around. And they say, you go to Capernaum. So Jesus goes to Capernaum in Galilee, northern part. I was there. I was there two months ago. Top of Sea of Galilee, right? What's the point? What, 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 what's, what's the big deal? Jesus is going to start his ministry. Why would he not go back to Jerusalem? Go to the, to the Temple Mount. Hey, Mount Moriah where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. For God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son. That would be symbolic and powerful. No, he didn't. He goes to the northernmost part. Who lives there? Those that don't know the law. Those that don't know God. And Jesus says to you and to me, here's where I go. I go to the outer regions. I go to the place where there's not Christians. And I don't go hide myself in some convent or some whatever. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just, but I'm going to go to what? I'm going to go to Capernaum. And what's the, what's the big deal about him going to Capernaum? Okay. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken, I'm just going to f- go all the way to 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. You're going to matter. Zebulon, you're going to matter, Naphtali. Let's go to this map. So there's Zebulon, right, in the New Testament. And there's Naphtali. And where's Capernaum? Right there. Jesus is going there to start his ministry. You know, Naphtali, Zebulon, you're in the northernmost parts. You don't think you're maybe like kind of in the heartbeat of God. No, you are. I promise you, I will use you. People, you know, maybe didn't want to be with you or be around you. Here's what it says. We're going to jump to verse 15. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Now, I need you to pay attention here because this is important. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Now, if you go back to verse 15 there, by the way of the sea, what would that mean? Look at this red line. Let's go to the next slide. Look up there. That red line right there. If you wanted to sell anything, if you wanted to be rich during this time, here's what you did. You took your goods and you, you traveled down the trade, uh, the trade routes. And you, if you were a person of influence, you went from Mesopotamia all the way down to Egypt and from Egypt all the way up to Mesopotamia. You were in the commerce, right? The world of commerce. You were where? You were in like I-75 and I-4 in Florida, right? You were, you were along I-75, which is the vein of Florida. This is where Jesus decided to what? Start his public ministry. And he spent most of his time up in Galilee, not in Judea, not in Jerusalem. Yeah, he died there. Yeah, he came for the last week, but he did not spend a whole lot of time there if you trek Jesus. What is that saying? It says this to me, and I think it says it to you. Go to our next slide. We have to go to people. 
We cannot expect, because we have some building now, that they're going to come to us. Our heartbeat is to go to them, because Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee, where the least amount of the Jews were. The people that didn't know about God, that didn't know the story of the ten plagues and the you know, redemption of, of the Israelites from Egypt. Because his heart broke for them. And my question about our church is, does our heart break for the people of Tampa? Or is it about our comfort? Because I know, I feel like, Maybe it's become that. And so John may come here, John Bennett, our coach, and I'm thankful that he will, and he'll come, and no one's going to know what he looks like, and I wonder what he's going to say. If he's a first-time visitor, if our people will talk to him, if we will care, because that's what Jesus did when he started his ministry. That's, I think, what we did when we started this church, and maybe we've lost that. And maybe we need to renew and and. and remember our first love. Maybe that's what 2019 means for you. Students who are, who are in your classes that you just don't want to talk to and God's saying you got to talk to them because they matter to God. I don't care how annoying they are, right? I don't care what your next door neighbor said to you before. God's heart breaks for that person. I don't care how loud they were last night. But you know what? When you have a little bit of success, you have a little bit of money. When you look good on the outside, you feel like, I don't need this. I don't need it. Why would I go through that? And the reason we would go through that, why? Because Jesus went through that for us. Is that he hunted you down when you didn't want him. You just wanted whatever. And he said, you know what? You are a knucklehead, but I love you and I will come after you. And Jesus says to Westtown, to the church, do you want to be little Christ?" then we go what? We go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Galilee to the ends of the earth and the Via Mare or, or the way of, of the sea, the international trade route. We go to the places where there's the most population and the most influence. And Tampa, Florida is a top market in the, in the whole country of the United States of America. And everybody in this room, for the most part, I know you've had success and you have influence. But if we don't use it for him, we missed out. Secondary causes, right? Secondary meanings. And he says, look, what could it be like? When you stay humble and you're praying, you know what? Yeah, you get going. But what happens, Frank, when you guys get a little bit of success? You stop praying as hard. You stop looking around. Who cares who the new person is in this room? I want to go home and watch a Lifetime movie today. I just want to sleep. I don't care. And Jesus took comfort to you when I was a knucklehead to him. And I just turned my back on him. If he didn't come, i say, no, Frank, you're mine. I will track you down. You cannot outrun me. And that's what he did. And he saved me. And he says to you and to me, Do you have that type of heartbeat? I don't know where our church is. But when we do that, right, we have the heartbeat of Jesus. We're going to come and take the Lord's Supper, and I know I've gone a little longer. I want to read to you this last little uh, illustration I thought was solid that a, a buddy pastor of mine sent. It was about a man who fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. And I think we have a lot of these in our 
in our community here. The subjective person sees the man in the pit, came along and said, I feel for you down there. The objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think that you are in a pit. The Pharisee comes along and says, only bad people fall into a pit. The the mathematician calculates how he fell into a pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. The Buddhist says, your pit is only a state of mind. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary to get him out of the pit. The county inspector asked if he had had a permit to dig a pit. The county tax assessor came along and figured the taxes he owed on the pit. An an optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit, right? Jesus went to him. Come on. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to be in it with you. I'm going to say, hey, let's get out of this. His heart breaks for you and for me because all people matter to him. And he says to you and to me, if you're to be little Christ, your heart has to break for people. Everybody matters. Everybody who walks through that door matters to God. Does it matter to you? Because that's what I'm dealing with. Has my heart gotten soft? Do I not have an edge anymore? I'm praying, God, please, the same urgency that we've always had. I don't care what the budget says. I don't care whatever. No, just what you want to do through the church, give the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That is it. If we move away from that message, I tell you what, we will lose everything. And so as you come to the Lord's table this morning, and you think you're going to take bread and you're going to take juice symbolizing the blood, that's what he did for you. Take inventory of that. Please make it count. And as you do, God, may it break your heart, anybody that walks through these doors that doesn't know the joy and the truth and the love of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray and ask God to work. God, Father, we need you to keep our church urgent and on task. God, you've given us some facilities. You've given us some success. But it doesn't matter if, if we lose the whole reason why you've used us. And that is humility and dependence upon you. We cannot manufacture true spiritual growth. You have to do it. It can't be any sermon or whatever. It has to be the Spirit of God moving in people in this room. And I think you're doing that, actually. I know you're doing that through me. And you're convicting me and kind of pinning me to the wall saying, what is it? Is this about success or is this about what I've done for you? God, please, may the gospel, may your love and your saving grace be the reason that we sing, the reason that we pray, God. The reason we will walk out of these doors or we'll talk to somebody that we don't even know is because you have saved us. We thank you for that love and that grace that we absolutely do not deserve. In your name, amen.